0: Happy Easter. He is risen. risen About 2,000 years ago, a baby was born in a barn outside of a little city called Bethlehem. Her mother was a woman named his mother. Off to a great start. His mother was a woman named Mary. Mary. Her husband was a man named Joseph. 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 They were poor. They were from a place nobody liked. That place was called Nazareth. Nazareth. Good. That boy grew up to be a man. He lived the first 30 years of his life in utter obscurity. Nobody knew anything about this man. Then one day when the time was right, he began to teach and to preach. And he became such a popular preacher that thousands of people flocked to him from all across the country. There were rumors that he had special powers, the ability to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to make the blind to see, to make the lame to walk. He was beloved by the poor and the needy, by the broken, by the despised, by the untouchable people of the world. They loved him because he loved them. He wasn't too good for anyone. So the elite hated him. The rich, the powerful mocked him. The religious leaders despised him. For three years, he ministered to people, proclaiming the gospel of a kingdom that was at hand and calling everyone he met to repentance and faith. On a Sunday, he marched into Jerusalem with his rabble followers, proclaiming him the king, laying palm branches before him. The leaders of the city spent the whole week trying to trap him, trying to find a way to justifiably execute him. On Thursday of that week, he was betrayed by one of his best friends. On Friday, he was abandoned by his friends and left to be tortured and hung from a cross where he died. And from there, he was buried and sealed in a tomb. And on Sunday, what happened that Sunday, no matter where you're coming from or what you believe, what happened that Sunday changed the world forever. Every single Sunday from that Sunday, 2,000 years ago, to this Sunday, from Jerusalem where everything happened, to a cornfield on the other side of the world on a previously undiscovered continent, this man's followers proclaim that on that Sunday his tomb was empty and remains empty. You can hate it, you can despise it, you can mock it, you can laugh at it, but you cannot deny that the world we live in has never been the same. All of Western civilization is built on this fundamental claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and his kingdom must fill the earth. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has dawned. The name of Jesus is everywhere. His influence is undeniable. In politics, in art, music, philosophy, it doesn't matter what it is. You name it, he's there. Go take an art history course, go to a philharmonic concert. Trace the roots of Western political theory and philosophy. Pick a discipline, trace it to its roots, and along the way, you will have to deal with Jesus and his influence. Here in Evansville, there are churches on every street corner. If you stop someone at the fall festival and ask them about Jesus, how many people would say they never heard of him? How many people would have an opinion? Jesus is so influential that every American president still to this day has to pay lip service to Jesus. Whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or somebody named Bush or Clinton, it does not matter how godless they are. They have to pay lip service to Jesus. Jesus has changed the world. And the question I want to ask today is why? Maybe you think I've already answered that question. But there have been other great preachers besides Jesus, other charismatic speakers who could draw a crowd, other revolutionaries who threatened their eras political or religious order, other prophets, other miracle workers, other messiahs. What was it about Jesus? If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. One day, Jesus was walking with his disciples. He had been preaching and teaching for a while. He had been performing signs and miracles. People were asking questions. Religious leaders were challenging him, trying to figure out, who is this guy? So Jesus asked his disciples this question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do they say the Son of Man is? It's a good question. Who do people say that Jesus is? If you were to go to the fall festival, if you were to go out onto the street, or if we were to wait outside the YMCA, I know the YMCA is not open today, but if we were to wait outside the YMCA, just outside the doors, as people came in to work out and ask them, who is Jesus? How do you think they'd answer? What would they say? A good person? A good teacher? A good example, maybe? A prophet of some kind? Do you know what the answer the disciples gave was? It's pretty incredible, The answer they gave to that question was, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Those are amazing answers. Do you know why those are amazing answers? Every one of those people was dead. That's why. Some of them for thousands of years. That's an incredible answer. Who do people say I am? Elijah? Jeremiah, they have no idea what to do with you. You do things that seem like they came out of the pages of scripture, out of history, out of the past. The best they can come up with is you're some dead guy come back from the dead who stepped out of the pages of history because they have no explanation for who you are. You understand? That's incredible. These were the kinds of things, what Jesus was doing, they had only heard stories about this sort of thing. They had no explanations, they had no answers. But Jesus looks at his disciples and says, well, who do you say I am? And a disciple named Peter gave a more amazing answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that is an amazing answer. Stop and think about it for a second. What was Peter saying? Well, some people think that you must be some kind of ancient prophet raised from the dead. Seems to them you walk straight out of the Old Testament into modern times and I know they haven't begun to touch the truth. You're not some prophet come from back from the dead. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's crazy because it's way too normal. It's way too simple of an explanation. No, you're much more extraordinary than that. You are the son of the living God. Think about that for a second. Just step and put yourself in the position. I mean, we, think of, we, we read these types of things in the Bible and we never stop and actually think about what's happening. Can you imagine ever meeting someone and living and traveling with them for years and coming to the conclusion, this person must be the son of God. What would that take? Anybody here married? Y'all thought that you married somebody touching divinity? (laughs) An angel? Definitely a year, two years, three years into marriage, you were convinced, right? It's crazy. It's silly. It's ridiculous. I think Jesus would have picked up his socks. I mean, they lived with this man for three years. They They didn't quite know who he was when they started following him. At some point along the way, they became convinced this man, the only explanation for who this guy is and what he's doing is that he's he's God. Nobody does that. Single people, roommates, how long does it take? A couple days, right? Nobody lives with somebody and steps back and says, divine perfection. You understand, this is something we have to reckon with. These people spent three years with Jesus. They went from city to city, town to town. They ate with him. They lived life together. And they came away from that convinced that he was the son of God, which is to say God himself. And they carried that conviction from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and from there, in most cases, to their graves. They were killed, martyred. They were changed men. They were men on fire. Here's another question for you. Who do do people say Jesus is? A A good person, a good teacher? If you were a good teacher, a good moral teacher, and someone looked at you and said, well, you're so great, you must be God, what do you think the appropriate response to that would be? Get behind me, Satan, maybe? Right? That's not how Jesus responds, though. Jesus responds and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, that's what Bar-Jonah means, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay, now, in other words, Jesus doesn't say what you would expect someone who is just a good moral teacher to say, does he? He says, yeah, you're right, you get it. I am God. I bet I can get you all to agree with this statement. A good moral teacher would never, under any circumstances, claim to be God or encourage his followers to believe that he is God incarnate. Never, ever, unless it were true. Jesus has left us two choices. Either he is an insane narcissist and therefore a deeply immoral person, or he is exactly who he claimed to be. And there are no other choices. C.S. Lewis put it best. I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. So we come back to the question everyone must reckon with. What if Jesus was telling the truth? What if the disciples were right? What if none of this was an accident? What if there's a reason Jesus is still worshiped to this day? What if there's a reason that even the most wicked men on the planet have to pay lip service to him? which by the way, every time an evil politician claims to be a Christian, it is a fulfillment of thousands of year old prophecy from Psalm 66, because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. What if Jesus really is God? Changes everything, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And it already has, in fact, changed everything it's changed the whole world. And it must it might it might be time, if you don't believe it, to catch up with it before it's too late. Because it has changed the whole sweep of human history. I want to talk this morning more specifically about the things that Jesus being God changes. We've got 5 of them. You can write them down. Here they are. The beginning, the then, the now, the future, and the you. For each one of these, I want to very briefly look at the whole scope of what the Bible says. That may be strange to some of you. It's Easter, right? We're supposed to be reading about, he is risen. He came forth from the grave. He is risen. I want us to see why. So why we're spending, this is the first in a six-part series. The next five weeks after this, we're going to keep coming back to this. Okay. But this morning, we're going to look at the whole Bible, including the Old Testament, because Jesus is God, which means that he's much bigger than just the story that we find in the Gospels. So once again, the beginning, the now, or the then, the now, the future, and you. How does Jesus, how does Jesus be, being God change each one of those things? We'll start with the beginning, and I'm going to start with a sentence, and I want you to try to finish it. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where did that come from? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The very first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But there is another way to finish that sentence from Scripture, isn't there? If you were to flip to John chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel of John, what does it say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis, how did he do it? He spoke it into existence. Out of nothing. He spoke and it came to be. In the beginning was the word. That word is Jesus, the eternal word of God. Jesus was there in Genesis, shaping the world, forming the sun and the moon and the stars, designing the plants and the animals and giving all of them life. So the story of Jesus doesn't begin in the manger. It begins from eternity past. It begins at the beginning of everything. Jesus is God, and that changes the beginning. It also changes the then by which I mean all of history up until now. Jesus has been present for all of it. He didn't just help create the world and then wait behind the curtain for his big scene in Act 5. He's been overseeing the the course of human history with his father for all time. And he's also put in literal appearances along the way. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that no one has seen or can see the father, which means that whenever we see God in the Old Testament, we see Jesus. When God walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam, Jesus walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam. When God shut up the door of Noah's ark, Jesus shut the door of Noah's ark. When Jacob wrestled with God, Jacob wrestled with Jesus. When Moses spoke to the burning bush, he spoke to Jesus. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth person there who had the appearance of the sons of the gods, Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus. When Isaiah saw his vision and saw one seated on a throne, surrounded by seraphim, who covered their faces in their feet and cried out, holy, 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 Isaiah saw Jesus. When Jesus was born, Mary held in her arms God. When Jesus walked this earth, God's feet touched the ground. When he shook a man's hand, that man shook hands with God. When he spoke, he spoke the words of God. Everything from the most profound things he ever said to the most simple and prosaic. From I am the bread of life to I am thirsty. Jesus lived the life we lived. Which is to say, God lived the life we lived. We will talk about that more next week. Jesus is man. But everything that happened in the New Testament matters because God did that. Every one Jesus touched was touched by God. But let's move on to Numbers 3 and 4. The now. If Jesus was God then, Jesus is still God now. Where is he? Why? What's he doing? We'll talk about that more in the coming weeks, but let me answer it briefly right now. He's reigning in heaven. That's where he is. He's subjecting his enemies beneath his feet. He is spreading and building his kingdom in the world through the, through the preaching of his word. Even though the world rages against him. And that's why we're here. That's why Church of the King exists because the king has not stopped building his kingdom. And that has ramifications for the fourth thing, which is the future. If Jesus is God, Jesus is coming back to make all things right. Right now he's making his enemies into his friends. It's beautiful. Anyone ever been an enemy of God? It's all of us. Every time we sin, Jesus is making his enemies into his friends. One day he will come and rid the world of every last enemy. And the very last enemy is death. Jesus is there in Genesis creating the world He's there through the story of the Bible, directing and interacting with the history of mankind. He's there in revelation, bringing judgment at the end of all things. The linchpin of it all is the story of the gospels. When Jesus put on flesh and lived a perfect life as a man, when he died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And that brings us to number five, which is the you and the me. If Jesus is God, If Jesus is God, that changes everything. And that means it changes everything for you and for me. We don't get to stay the same. Are you the kind of person that calls yourself a Christian? I grew up in a Christian home. I had this moment in high school though where I really became a Christian, I think. I stopped, well, actually I started suddenly evaluating everything. Everything in life I thought would make me happy. Everything in life I thought mattered. Everything I thought I was. I was just trying to desperately, desperately be honest with myself. To figure myself out and figure the world out. I'd been to church. We went to church growing up. I'd go to Young Life or whatever once in a while. But let's be real. Y'all been to Young Life? Why did I go to Young Life? A little bit louder. The girls. <laughs> exactly right. It had nothing to do with Jesus and everything to do with all the pretty girls. I went for the one thing that mattered most to me, ladies, this was different. Life was hitting me different. Sometimes life hits us in the face. Sometimes God gives us wake-up calls. Suddenly things get real. That ever happened to you? You get in a car wreck. You have a brush with death. You get arrested, facing jail time, sent to prison. Happened for a friend of mine who's now a pastor when he got his girlfriend pregnant. You have to decide, man, am I going to wake up? Am I going to face reality? Or am I going to sleep through this and keep doing me? I had a moment like that. It wasn't cathartic, big, scary car wreck or anything like that. It was kind of the opposite. For me, it was waking up and realizing I had everything I had always worked for and wanted within my grasp. Baseball, cute girlfriend, good grades, college scholarships. And I wasn't happy. It was empty. It felt meaningless. It felt like a big bunch of nothing that couldn't bear the weight of my desire for happiness. Couldn't fill the hunger. Couldn't deal with my sin. I began to cry out to God for real. Not fake, not pretend, but for real. At some point, I had this realization. I had this thought. If God is really God, if he is holy, if he really made me and the world and everything in it, that matters that changes everything. It changes how I live. It changes what I live for. It changes how I interact with everyone. It's revolutionary. If God is God, his life doesn't revolve around me. Mine has to revolve around him. Did God speak? God spoke to us. It's written down in a book. God's words, why we're here. What's the point? What's the purpose? What has meaning? How do I live? What do I live for? It's there. It's in a book. I have to read that book. I have to figure that out. I have to read it again and again and again. I have to know. It was the beginning of God transforming my life. It was the beginning of what led to me standing here in front of you today. I was just a guy who wanted a cute girlfriend and to play some baseball and get a scholarship to school and get a degree, earn some money, if I'm lucky, do something that felt like it made a difference along the way. Jesus changed everything. I felt that I had two choices before me. Stop calling myself a Christian because my life did not line up with what God's word said or read the Bible, believe it, and obey it. All of it, for all of life. I had to order my life around God and around God's words because they're God's words, God's. I had to learn what it meant to really follow Jesus and not pretend to follow him. And I add a little bit of spirituality to my life to feel better. I needed to get to church, not for girls, but because I needed Jesus. Whether you're a regular attender of our church or someone who only goes to church on Easter and Christmas, this is my message for you this morning. You don't get to pay lip service to God. He won't take it because he is God. He will be exalted in the heavens. He will be exalted in the earth, and he demands all of us. That's why he became a man, to give us all of him, so that we could be his, so that he could be ours. And that's what we really celebrate at Easter. That's why we gather. If you don't feel like you have all of him and that he has all of you, come talk to me. I'm not going to try to open up every part of this this morning. This is the first in a six-part series on who Jesus is. This morning, you have your first answer. Jesus is God. And that changes everything. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come to you and we ask that you would wake up our hearts, wake up our souls to the reality that Jesus is King. Order our hearts around that reality. Some of us this morning are grieving and mourning. Some of us are celebrating. Some of us are in pain. We pray that you would strengthen our hearts with this truth, that Jesus came down from heaven, that you sent your son from heaven to touch our pain, to heal our wounds, to forgive our sins, and to raise us up with you. Give us all faith this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.